that up, Jeremiah. Open your Bibles up to the book of Titus. This last year, I got to uh, try my hand at pastoring for about, a, I guess it was a, it's, it's about eight months, and it came to an end. They approached me and said, clearly, this is not your calling. No, they didn't say that. They didn't say it like that, basically. Uh, we started a training center in, uh, in uh, Lebanon, Tennessee, and God is just doing phenomenal things among us. And I did serve as pastor for about six months and uh, came to the conclusion um, there's a whole group of us that are leading there that uh, my call is, is shifting, especially still involved in the church, still going out in the community. But um, God has brought us in a senior pastor who's just, that he is, it's like a fish in water. I mean, he is just in his element. And so we're figuring that out. But my point is, for the last year, um, really got to feel the weight of, of what it's like to shepherd a group of people week after week. Um, and it changed even how I, not how I studied, and not how I spoke. You know, I'm, still, I'm still crass and all that stuff. But... Um, I, it, it changed the way that I was seeing the scriptures, honestly. And uh, I, I got into the book of Titus, and I studied Titus periodically, pretty much one section for years and years, um, and, and shared that. But went back and began to walk through the entire book. And I want to share with you this week out of chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, which is on a unique group of people um, in this body of believers in the island of Crete. One of the things that's really been standing out of me, especially in light of working and walking with the same group of people over a long period of time, is there is this distractedness that everyone, myself included, becomes susceptible to. This kind of routine, losing our focus, losing our purpose, losing why we're here. Where it's almost like it takes tragedy to wake us up. Where we become intent again, we become focused again. We use different terms, you know. It's not like it's not like I've been out, you know. Well, I gotta stop robbing banks, you know. Uh, yeah, we gotta get my life right. I'm not gonna cheat on my wife anymore. We don't. We don't get like that. We just we get like verses ten through sixteen, and it's deadly. I thought initially studying this, this was going to be like one of those scolding sessions. You know, churches love that. <laughs> but this is the kind of thing, it's not a scolding thing. It's a, it's, it's you've got two options, and looking at verses 10 through 16, you would say to yourself, why would you ever want that? And by it's interesting, not only the people that are Christians, but non-Christians would look at that and say, I don't want that. There's a whole other reality God has called us to. And I want to walk you through that this week. And so we're going to just take it slow, probably one verse at a time. It's going to be awesome. We won't be here very long. <laughs> so, but what, no, seriously, I've been getting my it down in about 40 minutes, so it's going, to be, it's going to be great. I want to introduce you a little bit to um, Titus. You probably already know about this, but just a really quick, small thing. Um, this letter was written by Paul to, uh, on his, after his fourth missionary journey. Uh, Paul would travel around. And, and have these have these phenomenal kind of uh, these phenomenal kind of impacts in communities, um, and then he would end up leaving, leaving one of his proteges behind, uh, probably a group of, of, of proteges and team members, and then he would end up writing letters back, and we have records of those. 
this, this letter here, Titus, is one of the three uh, past, what we call pastoral epistles in our New Testament because it's not written to a group of people. It's written to an individual, a leader in the church. So typically, as is the case, this letter is and should be smaller because he's not having to expound on a lot of the things that he would have to expound on if he was talking to someone who wasn't a protege, if that makes sense. So he's, he's writing this letter to an individual, and he's and, you, and we, whoever shares this, and we who go through this, enjoy the process of unpacking everything he's saying in light of what he said in, in, in other places in the New Testament. I got interested in this, uh, this word over the last several weeks. I ran into it when I was in college. It was the term martyr. And I was going through Greek class, and... and, and when I, we, we had basically looked at this term, and it's translated witness in the New Testament. And I thought, well, that's weird. You know, we, I thought a martyr was someone who died for their faith, and it can be. Um, but it's interesting when you look at the word witness in the New Testament, it always, it's more than just someone who's removed from something, who saw, who saw it, and then testifies about it. There's always, at least this word in the New Testament, specifically about Christianity maybe, there's always an experiential thing that happens. When you witness something, it's not that you just see it, you see it. That's that word witness. And it's significant when you get into the book of Acts, the, the witness to the resurrection, testifying, same Greek word, to the resurrection, is the theme from chapter 1 of Acts all the way throughout. Especially in the first 4, 5, and 6 chapters, when the early church is gathered, their mantra is that they would stand and be witnesses to the resurrection. I mean, when, when Judas is being replaced by Matthias, um, the qualification for being an apostle, fulfill, uh, for fulfilling that spot, was that they had to be around for the baptism of Jesus, and then they had to witness his resurrection. And then be a part of the ascension. That's, that's, that was really, 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 really significant. His, Peter's first sermon, you go all the way through the beginning chapters up to chapter 4. I mean, literally, the church was being the witness of the resurrection. Which makes you wonder. I mean, yeah, watching someone who died come out of the grave three days later would be like, that'd be pretty impressive. <laughs> Your church would grow. Alright? Yeah, that'd be cool. But you understand, when we're talking about this, is so significant. And this is what, this is the message of, of that was being preached in, in, in Titus, in, in Crete. Um, to witness the resurrection was more than just watching a guy come out of the grave. There, I, I didn't realize this for some time until I actually looked for it. There were all kinds of people raised from the dead in Scripture. Even in the Old Testament. All kinds of people died and came out of the grave. Lazarus, four days dead. All of them died and went back in. All of them. Lazarus raised from the dead. Got the flu six months later, went right back in. Okay? So, I mean, being raised from the dead is wonderful. But you'd say, why is it so significant when we talk about Jesus' resurrection from the grave? Because he went in the grave, come out, and never went back. That's one. But the big point is, he was never supposed to come out. If you were to go, we got to hurry on this. I got to have you out of here. But if you were to go back and look at in the old covenant the way that the Messiah conquering the grave was talked about, 
This is a piece of this. This is out of Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 4. In talking about Jesus dying, his death was absolutely significant. He was hung on a cross. To be hung on a cross, in the and this was pronounced several times in the Old Testament, God comes to the people of Israel and says, listen, if you ever die, make sure it's not on a tree. If you're parachuting and you got cliff or forest, cliff. Every time. Because anybody who dies on a tree is cursed. Flat out. But you're under the impression, accidental or no. You ever die on a tree, you're cursed. I am cursing you. There is, there is, there is no redemption. There's no blessing. That's big. Old Testament, all over the place. Jesus died on a tree. All throughout his ministry, the leaders of Israel... I mean, they were calling him a fraud. They were saying he was, he was unrighteous. There's a reason why they had him crucified. Put that together. There's a reason. I mean, he wouldn't like just beheading. Wouldn't like stabbing. He was delicate. He had, to, he had to not only die, he had to die cursed. And all that had to take place. So when he died on the, on the tree, it was devastating. Because even the disciples said, he's cursed. Because it's the law. I mean, it's factual. You can look up the passage and read it. He died on the cross. Everybody was devastated. No matter how great he was, he died on a tree. Listen to what Isaiah says. Surely, <laughs> this is so good. Listen to this. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrow, sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. Smitten by him and afflicted. See, on the cross, Jesus was cursed. On the cross, Jesus sucked all of who we are, have ever been, and ever will be into himself and paid the penalty of that on an eternal level. And when we looked at him, he was cursed. He was, Jesus wasn't, this is getting out of hand, isn't it? Jesus wasn't a good man dying for our sins. Jesus was the perfect man who became us on the cross. The sewage of society. That's right. Right. Seriously, when you look at him on the cross, he became the predator. Took that out when God saw him, that's what he saw. That's what he did for you. That's what he was on the cross. He goes on, he says, he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed. For our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own, uh, our own way. The Lord laid on him our iniquity. Right. That word laid, you should do a study on it. You go down a few more verses, we'll skip. In verse 10 it says, and he goes this long several verses on, on what was going on on the cross and the theology behind it. It says in verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. See, when you look on the cross, that is, hey, everybody who's on a tree, that's what, and he received the full penalty of that. Now, so when Jesus died and went into the grave, that's like really bad. Dying on a cross, being cursed, going into the grave. This wasn't train wreck. This wasn't cut your head off. He died cursed. So when he came <laughs> when he came back to the grave, people were like, dude, what are you doing here? <laughs> they'd seen other people who raised from the dead. See, this wasn't Lazarus. Dude, he's back. Yes, right on. Friday, we're gonna get together. 
This is that kind of raised from the dead. This is, you were cursed. I mean, I can show you the passage. What are you doing here? Amen. To witness, <laughs> to witness the resurrection means if he can do that for him, he can do that for me. Amen. That's what in the name of Jesus means for the early church. That in him, I don't have to be the way that I used to be. Just, I do, I want that for you. I want that for everybody. You can go to church and not have that. And when you see a person that has him like that, they look totally different than everybody else. They walk different, they talk different, they live different. They struggle different. They're different. We could probably give an altar call right now. But there's no way I'm doing that right now. <laughs> but I'll hurry. I want to get to a piece of this, and we want to look at this, uh, this first verse in verse 10. Paul comes into the islands of Crete and is a witness to the resurrection. And if you want to know, probably, we don't have a record of it, but if you want to know what happened in Crete, go look at what happened. Every time Paul went into a community and started talking about Jesus, I'm talking wrecking the joint. And I don't think that was an exclusive, unique thing in the past. I think that's supposed to be happening in our world, in your workplace, in your high schools, in your Walmarts. It happened, and a body was born. Now, Paul left Titus behind. He says, if you were to look at verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished. And he transitions into the first thing that he was to do, which was to appoint elders. And the whole focus of an elder, because there are six groups in the church, there are elders, there are older men, older women, younger men, younger women, and indentured servants. Kind of like, our, honestly, our modern-day factory workers, our modern-day electricians, which maybe we'll get to that this week. But the elders is a really unique group. He not only gives them content, which is in verses 5 through 9, but there's a specific role for the elder. They are the shepherds. They're the guards of the doors. They're the ones that protect the body. They're overseers. They're the ones that if you're going to get to my, my flock, you've got to go through me. That's who the elders are. And there's a group of people that Paul gives in verses 10 through 16, which he titles, and I've always titled them this, for there are many rebellious people. So there's a group of people that they're specifically elders are to guard the body against. This is hysterical. In our day and time, Texas, there ain't many places like Texas. I mean, there's Tennessee, but Texas is on a whole nother level. I mean, we've got old ladies carrying guns in Tennessee. Yeah. You got old ladies carrying multiple guns. You've got, I mean, hey, I, I was at a church here not too long ago. They had an AR-15 in the church on Sunday morning. I'm like, you guys are like awesome. <laughs> it's like the best of both worlds. I mean, it's just incredible. We, we're seeing this around the country. Obviously, it's more pronounced in certain places. Um, Texas, Tennessee, you know, those kind of places, Arkansas. But um, there's danger. There's, there's, there's this fear, probably, this precaution that's being taken place to guard us against that world. You know, we, I mean, I was in Garnett, Kansas, and they have 
the, the third Saturday of every month, they have uh, training for their staff, and they have a whole team of, of guards, and, and they're guarding the church and protecting. And then, I mean, our children's ministry, that is like, you, once you turn your kid in, if you lose your pass, you never get your kid back, ever. <laughs> Seriously, it goes to the government. I don't know if you know that or not. So, I mean, we are so protective, aren't we, of, of, of what's going on from our communities, from predators. I mean, the wackos that are in our society. Do you watch Forensic Files? It'll scare you to death. And now there's like five versions of that show. I don't get anything done. But the, uh, we, we live in such a world, and in our world, and we see this in the church, there's so many things we're protecting against. We are not protecting against verses 10 through 16, which is shocking to me. Of all the things Paul can say, now listen, we live in a pagan Roman society, which we are not there yet. The scriptures say before Christ comes back, it'll be like in the days of the Roman Empire, and it'll be the days of Noah. They were living in some of the most morally depraved societies, a time period that the world has ever seen. And he never brings up, listen, if you're going to have a church, we've got to have a children's policy. Get some AR-15s in on Sunday morning. And out guns the little old ladies. Now, not that that's bad, but he doesn't bring that up. The group that he just begs in every letter that he, that he, that he writes that we're supposed to guard against are this group. <laughs> Did you know what this group is? We call them religious people. He gives some, in, in, in verse 10, there are, there's a noun and there's a few different adjectives. And then there's a prepositional phrase. Oh, you're going to love this. The noun in the sentence, which actually identifies the group that he's uh, the group that he's talking about, the actual subject of verses ten through sixteen, is the word deceivers, which we'll get to in a minute. For there are many rebellious people. We are talk talkers and deceivers. Talkers and rebellious people are adjectives describing those people. But then at the very end, he gives a prepositional phrase. And in Greek, you have a number of different cases. Nouns have cases and. That's how their grammar works. But prepositional phrases and the genitive case in the original language, it clarifies and gives content to nouns. For instance, if I were to come to you and I would say, I worship the sun, S-O-N, I worship the sun. You might say, well, you know, which sun? CB's son? You know, your, your son? Whose son are you talking about? So I would add a prepositional phrase after to clarify which son I'm talking about. I worship the Son of God. Praise God for English. Grammar. So he, what he does is at the end of this sentence, the nouns and the adjectives are serving their purpose. He gives a prepositional phrase to just pinpoint and highlight. Because we meet all kinds of deceivers in our world. Right? We meet all kinds of people that are talkers that run their mouth. We meet all kinds of people that are unsubmitted. He's talking about the circumcision group. And if we had time, you could go back into Acts chapter 2, and when Peter stands up to preach, there's a whole group of, 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 of Jews that are listed from all the areas who are hearing the message in, in their own tongue. Cretans is actually mentioned back in those, those chapters. So there were, of course, and you don't have to study this on your own, but there was, there was constant upheaval for what? 2,000 years, 2,500 years, 
um, you know, all the way back from the time of Joshua, so 17, 1800 years in the land of Israel. And, and, and they were always being conquered and, and living in sin and God were having nations come in and carry them off in exile. Well, what happened is when the, the remnant always came back, some people stayed. You know, they had a nice little house, you know, uh, a little picket fence, 2.5 kids, nice job. And they're like, we're going to stay here. And so we called those the diaspora. So there were people that are all the way from, from Babylon, which is modern day Iraq, and which is where the wise men came from. And then you have all these people up in Turkey and Syria and in, in their day and age and those lands. Well, they had these islands of Crete. And there was a whole group that had been carried off and they made a life there. And they were Jews and they had a synagogue and they believed in God. In fact, they came to Jerusalem for these pilgrimages to celebrate the, 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 the festivals, the Passover. So when Paul comes in these islands, there was, and, and the message was established and all this wonderful stuff was taking place. There was a group of Jews there who said, hey, we worship the same God. And they infiltrate the church. We're going to make this quick. The problem with the circumcision group is they do believe. They believe in the same God that we do. The Jews believe in the same God that we do. They just live in a different relationship with that God. They believe the same God. Same God. Different relationship. In an old covenant hour, for 4,000 time period, okay? Literary is about 1,800, 2,000 years. 4,000 year time period, God related to mankind in this kind of a relationship. This is new. This is my 2019 hand gestures. Brand new off the press. You're going to love it, okay? He lived in this kind of relationship. You're like, well, what's this kind of relationship? God is holy, man is unholy. That's how it was in the Old Testament. God is righteous, man is unrighteous. It's not like God is holy and God is righteous because he knows what holy is or that he knows what is right and always does it. He is righteous. It's like his mistakes are awesome. Like he misses the nail and hits the thing and it looks that that's how it's supposed to be. Seriously, his aroma. He is the standard. How he is, his knee-jerk reactions spew righteousness and holiness. It's who he is. In an old covenant hour, because of Adam and Eve's sin, man was unholy, unrighteous. The best of them was still unrighteous. Jesus gives this awesome, awesome illustration with John the Baptist. He comes up, he's gonna, you know, he's, I think he's been killed at this point, and they're, and they're talking about him, and Jesus says, do you guys know who he is? And of course, a couple of them were John the Baptist's disciples. Jesus says, of those who've come out of a woman, which is pretty much everyone, <laughs> he said, there's not been one greater than John the Baptist. <laughs> of the human race, top dog. That's impressive. Seriously, that's impressive. But he says, the least in the kingdom of heaven, new covenant relationship, greater than him. The least in the kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of heaven? Not this, but this. Because at the time of Christ, for an entire Old Testament time period, which we'll return to in a second, God was preparing them, not for this kind of a relationship, but this kind of a relationship. Where God invites us. I'm still working this out. God invites us up into intimacy with him. And I don't walk with a God who's out there looking at me. I walk with a God who right resides within my body. Now this has been, this is difficult because they're dealing with the same things that you and I are dealing with. 
There's people that slip into the body with this kind of relationship who call it Christian. And it is not. In our town, Nashville. And we do. Well, I mean, we, we drive gators and, you know, we drive vehicles that really aren't vehicles. You know, lawnmowers. And we... Everybody... Everybody looks like me. It's, it's crazy. Uh, it, is, it is scary religious. We had big controversy in the last six months over the Ten Commandments being threatened and, and you know, want to tear them down. And I was just, people were like, what do you want to come pick it? I'm like, I'm for it. This may not go well. <laughs> I'm not against the Ten Commandments. It just doesn't apply to you and I as Christians. And people go out of their minds when you talk like that. The Ten Commandments were an Old Covenant moral structure for the people of God that had paired with it a ceremonial law and a ceremonial structure. As a Christian, you do not live according to the Ten Commandments, which immediately brings up the question, Oh, so I can murder. Yes. No, you cannot. <laughs> The law was never given to make you righteous. The law was given by God to show the people, you are not like me. You are not holy. You are just not right. The law was given to reveal sin. It was not given to produce holiness. It was given to teach us about where God is taking us. And we already know this. I use these illustrations, which my illustrations are awesome most of the time. Because <laughs> they're just hysterical. I think. I use this illustration of, of, uh, of adultery. And you can Google this, by the way. In the Old Covenant, the law said, don't commit adultery. So, I can't cheat on my wife. And I'm not going to. But she can't live forever. And I'm, I'm, you know, hey, I'm, I'm just keeping my eye out, keeping my options open. I'm not going to cheat on her. Hey, I'm, I'm obeying the law. But she's got some miles on her. There's no doubt about that. Okay. And there's, some, there's a girl down the street from us. She's quite a bit younger. Probably a little less drama. But I'm not going to cheat on her. I'm, hey. And she dies. <laughs> now you would look at that. This is being taped. Really? <laughs> it's you put in context, by the way, on your, on your site. Now you, you know, the podcast is great. Um, people hear that and go, uh, that's not right. You're right. It's not right. Because you've been exposed to a different standard of righteousness. But it was right here. God could not solve the lust problem in the Old Covenant. Why? Because his people were unholy. So he said, don't commit adultery. Duh, I won't. Which is why in the New Covenant, in a, in a Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard it said. But I say to you, you heard it said, don't commit adultery. Don't even lust. 
Lust is impossible here. It's impossible. Because he's moved inside of my body and I feel different. I think different. You need another one. Murder. Do not murder. And I'm not going to. I got this lady who lives next door to me. Oh, she would die. I mean, she just... Seriously, she's a handful. She's got these dogs and her kids, which are worse. And I'm not going to kill her, though. And I've struggled, but I'm not going to kill her. I'm not. But I see her leave in the morning, and I think, oh, I hope you die today. <laughs> in fact, what Krinda called me last night when I got her. She was, there's a big accident down by our house. It's like, oh, let it be her. <laughs> but I'm not going to kill her. Now, you look at that and say, that doesn't sound right. It is here. But it wasn't here. Amen. You see the difference? See, you have an old covenant outside relationship with God that cannot fix the inside of me. The new covenant relationship with God, you don't just do different things. Oh, fine, I'll go to church, can't cheat on my wife, won't look at this, won't do that. And you're, you're, you're consistently, anyone who's ever lived in a habitual sin kind of relationship with God, you are fighting a losing battle with what you really want to do. If you just be honest with yourself. You like it. That's why you do it. And you feel guilty and I want to go to heaven and you know, hell, that would suck. So I'm going to try to live right. I'm not going to do that stuff anymore. That's when I, uh, when I, I grew up with a grandma who loved Jesus. And she took me to her church and I saw the real thing. Had an encounter with the Lord back when I was in uh, junior high, late junior high years. I had no doubt in my mind of the truth. But I was like, I didn't get this. It was never explained to me. I knew the truth. But I was like, oh man, I'm so young. I mean, look at these people. They're miserable. Look how they dress, talk. So I made this deal. I was like, okay, God, here's the thing. Protect me. I'm going to go out into the world. Probably some stuff. I read that. I'm going to live. I'm going to have fun for a while. And then when I get old, you know, 50, <laughs> and my life's over anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'll just come back to you then and just grind it out. For the last couple years. <laughs> Seriously. Because I want that fun. And church people are like, take care. Do you spend any time around you people? <laughs> religious people, I mean, and it, they weren't all religious, but I had this broken understanding because I had this, it wasn't like, I like those things. And it wasn't until I had to go through this, this experience, I just didn't believe and trust that those things produced death and pain and hurt and destruction. I wasn't meant for living that lifestyle. And he comes in and he opens my eyes and I feel different. I, I see people different. This, this group does not have that. And if you are walking in this kind of relationship with God, I'm telling you, there's a reason why you're consistently wrestling over the same things. It's not true. You're not evil. You're not bad. You probably aren't killing people. I've met very few serial killers in church. Okay? <laughs> Seriously, there's probably always one or two on the board. But, you know, typically, 
Typically, I don't meet evil people in church. I meet people that are enslaved to a mind that is not like Christ. And they think they are Christian because they recognize the truth. Recognizing the truth and believing does not save you. God moving in your life and transforming you into a whole person. We call that holiness. Is what he always wanted from this to this.
And we're constantly just... Trace that out in your life. He goes on, talks about talkers. The word talkers is really interesting. If you go back in the original language, it should be translated talkers. <laughs> it's a combination of two Greek words, the word lego and vanity. Two Greek words for speaking in the original language, leleo and lego. Leleo is casual talk. And I love it when that word is used, especially in spiritual conversations or in spiritual uh, uh, contexts, because they're trying to say that God even affects the way you talk when you're not thinking about it. You don't have to like watch your tongue. He's just so involved. Just that's a Lego. But this word talkers, it's Lego vanity. Which Lego, all the places in the New Testament where Jesus is teaching, and it said, "Verily, verily, he saith unto them." The word saith or said is the word Lego. It has to do with specific, intentional thought behind it. There's reason. I'm trying to communicate something. It's a teaching term. Which means the religious people, in their best theological sit down and explain about God, it's vain. It does, this does not work. Well, make them go to church on Sunday. Well, they just need to know that they're wrong. No, they don't. They don't even know they're wrong. As if if you knew you're wrong, you wouldn't do that anymore. Well, you need to get your life right. You can't get your life right. You can't quit lying. You can't quit lusting. You're never going to manage money but well. Your marriage is not just going to miraculously get better. I wish I could see you. This <laughs> is not going to get better. There's a single factor. There's a catalyst in your life that brings change. And there's only one available. His name is Jesus. Amen. Seriously, not punchline church Jesus, but the God who's inside of your body makes you different. I'm going to be cramming that down your kids' throats this week in a very politically correct association. <laughs> There's one thing, one thing, one thing only. It's the person. Josh just led us in that worship. This led. It's all we sing about was the person. That's not who they talk about. They talk about rules and structure. And theology and philosophy. They're unsubmitting. Come for us, Joshua. They're unsubmitting. What does that mean? You're never going to be able to control your temper outside of. Well, we all just need to come into agreement. <laughs> Seriously, go to your reunions. Yeah, that's why you dread going to them. It's never going to happen outside of this. Take any church structure where Jesus is not the source of everything that happens. You're going to have split. You're going to have controversy. You're going to have drama. No one's going to be on the same page. There's going to be infighting. There's going to be... Paul says, when he writes, of all the things he could caution them from to the drug use, which was legal in their day and age, to the pagan worship. It's so interesting. When you get closer to Jerusalem, all the stuff that they churn over is the eating food sacrificed to idols and all the religious, oh, I'd have moved this bar up from there as I possibly could. I've struggled over the last few years with church because it's just filled with church people. 
Not you guys, obviously. I'm not, I, I, I love you guys. I'm talking about all those other churches in the world. <laughs> I, I'm a lot like Clint. I, my parish, I tried to pastor it, and I love it, and I love people, and I have a pastor's heart. That's why I'm called. My pastor's Walmart. My, my pastor's Walmart. My, my pulpit's the towel aisle. I just hang out there. I just don't do well with people that have a form of godliness but consistently live in drama and bondage and unfulfillment and lack of joy and enthusiasm. And they seem to want to curb it in everybody else's life. And I still do well with that. I've been in these, I've been doing this forever. And uh, people always ask me, <laughs> come early so we can pray for you. I'm like, don't need it. <laughs> I go. They either say, oh, he's so unspiritual or oh, he's so spiritual. <laughs> I don't know which it is, to be honest with you. I just know that as long as I'm living right, and I'm in His Word, and staying in His giftings and gracings and anointings for my life, He just seems to do what He wants to do in these kind of services. <laughs> it has little to do with me. It has little to do with me. What are you saying? I'm saying that there are times, I have witnessed times like these, where there will be someone sitting out there, and it just, it's your day. I wish it was everybody's day. But there's some of you that are sitting out there, and you're not bad, you're not evil, you're not a horrible person, but you're realizing everything that dude is talking about, I don't, I don't think I have what he's talking about. I think I might have this. You just don't have to live like that. Seriously, you just don't have to live like that anymore. This should not be legally allowed to be mentioned in the same sentence as this. They're so different. Church and Jesus, religion and Christianity are completely two different things. As different as Judaism is from Christianity, as Pharisees from Jesus. <laughs> He's so good. Did you know that God's gifts and graces and calling upon your life is irrevocable. It's right out of Romans. Yeah, call my life back when I was a kid. Still there. No, you don't understand what I've been through. Still there. Your purpose and your place in this body is still there. You mean as soon as I come down and respond and God heals me, I stand up on the road? Yes. You're back in the thick of things. You're being mentored. You're being discipled. You're being used. He is so good. Jesus, we love you this morning. I love being here. I mean, obviously, I love the Glidens and, and all their family and uh, Paul. And, and there's so many of the group here and the Joneses and been coming here for a long time. But this place just, I said it to Jones this morning, but it just felt different in here. What are you doing at Fort Worth First Church? Are you bringing revival? Are you bringing renewal? Are you bringing transformation? Are you bringing deliverance? 
Father, there's going to be some of us in this room this morning who are going to have to come out of agreement with the way we've always thought, the way we've always walked, approached church and religion and life. Would you come in these moments in the name of Jesus and the power of your presence and bring love and conviction, unsettledness, exposure, hammer our hearts, Jesus. Do what you do to me when you speak to me. Evoke a response. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If he's speaking to you in these moments, would you be willing to come? I don't care what your age is. care what your gender is. I don't care what you're currently doing. How you're currently living. Would you just respond? Just get to know him on another level. I'm not a beggar. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And there are times like these when God speaks, they, they just don't come in, they just don't come around every day. And if he's speaking to your heart, he's, he's, it's, he's resonating with your soul in the diaphragm of your life, you, you gotta respond. You just gotta respond. I know you're thinking it's embarrassing, it's weird, and all this stuff, and no one's and all this. I, I totally get it. Just respond. Just seek. Just say, hey, I want to go to another level. I want to go up another notch. I want to be real. I'm tired of wrestling to the things I've always heard. I want to be an absolute savage in my world for the kingdom. I want to be the real deal. Like unchained real deal. It's not an emotion. I'm never changing. So if he's speaking to you this morning, join us. There's got to be more than one, right? Would you come? Jesus, we want to sing to you. We want to meditate on you. And I do. To think that you would leave and come and suck out of my pores everything that just is so me. Put it into yourself and condemn it to the grave. And then come out of the grave for me. That you might live in me. That I might be like you are. I might be a little Christ. I might be a Christian. I'm just blown away. I want in, Jesus. We hinder our relationship with you. You want to give us as much of you as we want. You are 100%. There is no darkness. You're 100% available. Maybe the reason I don't have more of you is I don't want more of you. I'm all in this morning, Lord. Every thought, every bodily drive, every waking moment of my day, I'm yours. Speak to us in these moments. Altars are open if you'd like to come. A few minutes, Pastor Glidden's going to come and close us. Love you guys. Love being here. Tonight we're going to be back. Pastor Glidden will give you the time. And then we'll be here Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I'll be responsible to your time throughout the week as well. We will be in and out here in a timely manner so you can be home. Many of you have kids. We're going to have children's ministry. It's going to be great. We'll have you here. If uh, you need to go, we understand. In a few minutes, Pastor Glidden's going to close us. But if he's speaking to you, don't. Don't miss out on this opportunity.